You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Well, before before I get going, I want to introduce you to the newest member of our family. Woo! She is a beauty. Um, even Caleb, who was playing the keyboard, I don't know how many of you know that he lives with us. He's our Kenyan son. And uh, I showed him this newest picture this morning because Jasper was just born on um, the 7th. And uh, he goes, uh, she came out pretty. And I said, she did. Not all babies do. And so sometimes we're like, well, this will be interesting. And <laughs> but this is Jasper May, uh, Ann. I almost called her May. We have a lot of Mays in our family. So J Jasper Ann. And she is the daughter of our middle son, Ryan, and his wife, Jessie. And she has two wonderful siblings, Stevie and Calder. So we are so excited about having Jasper. So she's number nine, and uh, she's a precious baby. So we are going to continue in the book of Acts this morning. It's the Acts of the Apostles. What are the apostles doing? What are the Acts of the Apostles? <laughs> we're going to see that today. And we're in the fifth chapter of Acts. Now, just as a review, Acts is written um, by the Apostle Luke. Uh, Luke wrote the book of Luke, and this is a continuation of the book of Luke, and so um, it's, a, it's just some good things to know. This story is um, interesting, and I'm going to start right off by, we're going to just read it right out of the word, Acts chapter one, 5, 1 through 11. Ananias and Sapphira. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full amount with his wife's consent. He kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. In the message, I like this last um, part of this scripture. It says, great fear gripped the entire church. They knew that God was not to be trifled with. Ah, chapter 5. I mean, come on. You got to agree with me. This is a rough. This is, this is kind of rough. And anyone who has a beef with the church is going to look at this and say, this is why I don't go to church. You know, <laughs> the church is all about money. And this, this story really scares me. Well, it scared a lot of people. So, um, but this is recorded history. And it's, it's recorded by the Apostle Luke in an isolated incident. There's a couple in this church who wanted to have the image of great generosity without being that generous. What it is not, it's not a lesson on how Ananias and Sapphira are showing us that we should give everything to the church. It's also not a lesson on how Ananias and Sapphira demonstrate that we should give more to the church because it's not about money. 
It's not about money. It was about honesty. It's an issue of honesty. It was an issue of authenticity, of integrity. And so this is such an interesting passage. And I imagine that no one, no one was more surprised when Ananias fell down dead than Peter. I mean, Peter didn't put a curse on him. He didn't wish he were dead. And all of a sudden, Ananias dies. So, and, and Peter said, you weren't lying to us, but to God. Now, why? What, what is going on here? Why did this happen? And, uh, you know, I think it's, a, it's very important to understand where the church is at this point. This is a critical time for the church because the church was in its infancy. Acts 1 through 4 are dynamic times in the life of the church. In chapter 1 of Acts, it talks about how Jesus, before he ascended, he told his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 2, Pentecost came, the birth of the church. Suddenly, the sound of heaven, and there was mighty a mighty windstorm. There were tongues of fire over the heads of everyone who was there, who was present in that room. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and the gospel spread. There was great repentance, and thousands, thousands were baptized and added to the church. It was a moment in history unlike any other moment. And you may ask, can we reproduce it? No. No. This is a combination of a mighty wind, tongues of fire, and this miraculous flow of the gospel in every language that needed to be uh, spoken for the people who were there. If this was a once-in-a-life occurrence. But we can. We can be stewards of what God is doing today in the church. As I was preparing for today, the word that kept coming to me was enough. Enough. One of the issues, one, just one of the issues with Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira was that they forgot and they didn't realize that they were enough to God. It's human nature for us to hide. From a very early age, we decide that telling the truth is too risky, um, the consequences could be too great, um, being ourselves is just a high risk, you know, option. We don't, you know, we're, we're afraid sometimes to just be ourselves, not knowing that we are enough. Out of our grandchildren, we have one who is um, seven and a half, Nehemiah, and he can't keep a secret or tell a lie to save his life, which is such a great, great quality in this kid. So if there's a surprise that's going to happen, you really have to explain to him it's okay. You don't have, it's not a secret, it's a surprise, and, you know, kind of talk about how it's all right not to tell somebody. Now, the others, not so much. I mean, they're, yeah, you know, we, they leave the house and, and uh, we see candy wrappers under the cushions and behind the pantry door and, you know, all the places that they don't want anyone to see that they've taken the candy. And the funny thing is, I mean, you know, at our house, they could have it in full disclosure, of course, in moderation. <laughs> but, but it's a sin nature to hide. You know, Adam and Eve, they, they hid. They lied. Then they covered up. What keeps us from being authentic? What keeps us from being authentically who we are? You know, it's usually the thing behind the thing. <laughs> so I'm going to use that word, T-H-I-N-G, and it's not in the notes, and I wish it were, because I think it's pretty good to understand what keeps us from being authentic. The, th 
the T in the thing is triggers, an old wound, something from our past, our experiences that were painful. It's the setup that sets you off. It's, there's triggers in our life. And then when those happen, and when we've had that happen, we hide. We hide because we don't want to face those things that have hurt us. We don't want to go there, so we find distractions. We find distractions. Maybe it's food, and maybe it's social media, it's games, it's you know entertainment of some sort. Could be that glass of wine or that glass of bourbon or whatever it is that we hide from those triggers in our life, those things that are painful, our insecurities. The uh, great uh, definition for insecurities is this. Insecurities are the false stories that we create about ourselves. We create these false stories about ourselves and, and we are insecure and we're afraid to be who we are. Then there's the narratives that we have of other people, what other people think of us. And these are often very false narratives. But then we're, we find this place, hopefully sooner than later, and it's grace. Grace. We get a hold of grace and then we become whole. We become holy and, and spiritually healthy. And it's a process. I know that more than anyone. Um, it's a human, it's human nature to feel shameful, to feel inferior, and um, we've tried to be someone other than ourselves at times. And, and I don't know, you probably have heard Ron and I say this phrase because it's true. Um, when we have faced things and become real, our vulnerability, when we're vulnerable, gives others hope. It's okay to be geeky. It's okay to be awkward. It's okay to be broken. It's okay to be afraid. We are enough for God. Our vulnerability gives others hope. Unfortunately, church is a breeding ground for putting on personas that you want people to see you as or see me as. And, um, you know, faith without vulnerability is not a fully formed faith because what happens when we are holding back, it's because we, we don't trust. There's something about not trusting even Jesus with what we are trying to hide that he already knows about. And um, we hold back because we've been hurt, so we may not trust you as well. And, and church should be, should be the place where we're able to share our highest moments and our lowest points. And no one knows that more than myself. I'm going to give you a one-minute testimony. Uh, 25 years ago, I stood at the back of the auditorium. That was when we were still meeting in the youth building. And I said, with all earnesty, um, during worship, God, show me anything that is standing in the way of going deeper with you. And all of a sudden, it was like a dark room with an exit sign blinking Read and it was saying anger, anger, anger. And I thought, me? I, I didn't think of myself as angry. But I gave permi God permission to show me more. And it boiled down to perfectionism. And I'm going to tell you right now, if anybody is, you know, is that in that mode of perfectionism, you will be angry because nothing is perfect. <laughs> So he showed me this, and um, the only reason you strive for per perfectionism is because you are afraid to be you. It didn't happen overnight. It took time. It wasn't fun. It was really painful at times. I'm a slow learner, and, but I found that being authentic with God and being authentic with you is true, true freedom. There's so much more to the story, but that's my 
one, maybe one and a half minutes testimony. The bottom line is, if you're not ready to be real, God is not ready to heal. In John 1.14, it says, so the word became human and lived here on earth among us. He is full of love and faithfulness. We can be real with God because he moved into our neighborhood. He's full of love and faithfulness. And we see examples in the word of people who were real. There's many, many, and I'm going to just mention a couple. One is David. David is real. He gets real with God. David in the Psalms holds nothing back. He complains, he laments, he accuses, he's transparent with God. That's healthy. It's healthy to, to be able to tell God what is really bugging you. Uh, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus gets real in Luke 19. He confesses, he says, I overtaxed people as a tax, tax collector, and I need to make restitution. And then there's Paul, and in Romans, he talks about being real. You know, I tried to do things right, but, it, you know, I can't do it, and all the, you know, the things that he says about that. He says, I'm a miserable person. I'm incapable without the Spirit of God to live righteously. He gets real. Before we go on any further and talk about chapter 5, I, I just want to pause a moment and pray. And so would you pray with me? Father, we come to you, and we want to come to you with full disclosure of what's in our heart and in our mind. Holy Spirit, come. We invite you. Open our ears. Open our eyes. Let us see some things that are real and important to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we go um, into five, I, I really want to look at that last paragraph of chapter four, Acts chapter four, and I want to read that to you. And you can see it on the overhead. So all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. You know, we read this, we read this in chapter four and we say, I want to go to a church just like that. I, I, want, I want to be part of that. And I would say me too. I want to be part of that as well. But it, because, well, let me just first say, because we want to be a part of that because there's no partiality. Every tribe, every tongue, men, women, old, young, economic status, they were all represented. They were united in heart and mind. I mean, that right there is a miracle. Wouldn't you agree? So this happened also at one moment in time. And this is like summer camp. If you've ever been to summer camp, it, you never want to leave. At least that's the way I was. It's a dynamic moment in the life, in your life. And this was a dynamic moment in the life of the church. But it doesn't stay there. The reason is being united is really difficult. It's tough. It's tough to be united. It's hard in our marriages to always be united. It's hard with our children or with our neighbors in our neighborhood. It's hard in our country. I mean, we are the United States of America. How united are we? It's hard to be united, and it's hard in our church as well. There are moments in our relationship, in those personal relationships with your husband, wife, with that special somebody, that there's such a wonderful dynamic moment where everything is so great, where you're so united. I mean, you love everything that they love everything that you love. I mean, in our case, baseball, barbecues, beaches. But who doesn't like that? 
I mean, come on, let's be real. Dodgers, let's go. Um, then, then real life happens, right? And there are things that are not so dynamic. It's not so fun when bills come in and the washer breaks down and, you know, whatever happens. And you, being united is hard. And it's the same with churches. There are dynamic moments in the church like this one we see in Acts chapter 4. And then there are not so dynamic moments in the church. There are times in the church that are so amazing. I mean, I've experienced it. We've been here 35 years. We've experienced these amazing moments in the church. And I would say one of, one of those moments is today. <laughs> but there are also dry seasons. There are dry seasons in the church. There are dysfunctional, dysfunctional moments in the church because we're full of dysfunctional people. We are all in the process of restoration, redemption, and getting real. There are no perfect churches because there are no perfect people. In the Acts 4 church, the apostles, it says, testified powerfully. There were no needy people because everyone helped everyone, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There was major generosity. Two things I want to note here about just that. Those who gave got no credit. They gave what they had to the apostles, and the apostles helped meet the needs. And second, God got the glory. At Canby Foursquare, and Ryan did such a great job this morning talking about your generosity, but you've entrusted us with your generosity. And over the years, we've been able to um, do so many things, plant churches and help church, church plants. We um, ha have local and foreign missions, discipleship, help families in need, so many more things. And we do this in the name of Jesus. We don't want the credit. We get blessed by giving. God gets honored and glorified. So thank you. Seriously, thank you so much. In Acts 4, we also get introduced to somebody, Barnabas. Now, the thing about the scriptures, and we've talked about this even in Bible study. I had, I don't know if she's here this morning, but Lynn said, why? It's so confusing. Everybody has so many different names. And I say, yes, I agree. It is confusing. You know, we have Abram and Abraham and Sarai and Sarah. At least they sound alike. And then there's Saul and Paul. Okay, they sound alike too. And then there, there's Joseph, but now we're calling him Barnabas. And, you know, Simon. And then there's Peter. And sometimes he's Simon Peter. And it's like, what is going on here? Who are these people? But anyhow, we have, we get to know Barnabas in this scripture. And, um... We get to know several things about him in just a little bit. He's from the tribe of Levi. He's from the island of Cyprus. And his nickname is Son of Encouragement. So we really get to know him pretty well. And throughout Acts, Barnabas is mentioned several times. And it's always good. I mean, there's nothing bad to say about Barnabas. He's generous. He's an advocate. He's the one who came along Saul before he was Paul. And because all the other uh, disciples were still afraid of him. And he was advocating. He came alongside of him. He, Barnabas planted churches. He discipled many people. I mean, what a great guy. Who doesn't want to be like Barnabas? And this was, a again, a dynamic moment of the church. It's the birth of the church. Thousands are being saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized. The church is united. So Ananias and Sapphira saw the great generosity of Barnabas and how well he was respected, and they decided they wanted to receive the same respect. Both husband and wife were partners in the deception. They both wanted the image of great generosity without actually being remarkably generous, although their gift was probably very generous. And it was unnecessary. 
It was completely unnecessary. Peter said the property was yours to sell or not sell. And after selling it, the money was yours to give or not give. The property was yours. You didn't have to sell it and you didn't have to give it. And then Peter says, how could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. And then as we read, as soon, as soon as Peter said that, he fell to the floor and died. Could it be taking in mind where the church was, the birth of the church, could it be that Ananias simply could not live in the atmosphere of purity that marked the church at that time. We don't know all the reasons why he just died. Peter had asked Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? This was a critical juncture for the early church. Impurity, sin, scandal, allowing Satan to infiltrate could have corrupted the entire church at its roots. And it was too much. Peter was probably, like I said, so surprised when he fell down dead. And, you know, but people die in strange ways. You know, people do. They, they die in strange ways. There's, there's this guy, Draco, in 621 BC. Um, interesting way he died. He was a law maker, he was a lawyer, and the citizens of the country were so appreciative of him that they were throwing their cloaks and their hats to him and it suffocated him. <laughs> you know, the thank you notes and gift cards are, were highly underrated at that point. <laughs> Another one, I mean, people die in strange ways. Aeschylus in 525 BC, he was a Greek writer of tragedy. He was killed when an eagle dropped a tortoise on his head, thinking it was a rock in order to break the tortoise in order to eat it. Now, that's a great ending to a tragedy. I don't think he could have written it any better. So people die in strange ways. When Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? That's a good question. I think that's a question we need to ask ourselves. Not why have we let Satan fill our hearts, but what fills our heart? What will we be filled with? We are all full of something. We can be full of generosity. We can be full of kindness. We can be full of God. Hopefully, you know, that's it filled with the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, and we were made to be filled. Rick Warren puts it so well in Purpose Driven Life. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. We were made to be filled. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. The apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see the result of that. They preached with boldness, were powerful witnesses. They prayed for the lame, the sick, the oppressed, and they were healed and set free. Or, or we can be filled with, you put it, you, you know what you can be filled with. We can be filled with envy. We can be filled with unforgiveness, you name it. We can be filled with stuff that we don't want to be filled with. And we even see in this chapter 5, verse 17, that the high priest and the officials who were Sadducees were full of jealousy. So we are all made to be filled with something. What fills you up? Peter also said, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You kept some of the money for yourself. So it wasn't about the money. It was about lying. And Satan is a father of lies, and he'll tell you all kinds of lies, things that who you are and what you should do in order to be loved and accepted. Ananias and Sapphira forgot that they were enough. 
But the greater sin, the greater sin here is they forgot to fear God. It's not the kind of fear like, oh my gosh, I'm so afraid of God. No, it's that reverence and awe of, the, of God Almighty. You lied to the Holy Spirit. You weren't lying to us, but to God. That's sobering. In Hebrews 10, 29, there's also a very sobering passage of scripture that says, just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. We live in a day where insulting God is done without a second thought. So do we respect the weight of his majesty, his sovereignty? He will do what he wants to do. Do we respect that? His grace, his mercy, his power, his justice, his sacrifice for us. Do we respect the weight of his majesty? So the story goes on. About three hours later, his wife comes in not knowing what happened. No one contacted the family. No one told her what happened. So Sapphira comes in, and she's like, where's Ananias? Ananias is always getting lost. Where is he? And Peter asked her, though, he said, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Well, that's a nice, how are you doing, Sapphira? What was Peter doing here? He was giving her a chance to get real. Peter was giving her a chance to tell the truth. Sapphira had an opportunity. And yet, she replied, yes, that was the price. She planned the lie, she helped commit the lie, and then she reinforced the lie. And she died, too. And I'm sure that when Peter said, the young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too, he braced himself. It was like, okay, this is going to happen. I've seen it happen before. And she died and she fell to the floor. And um, I just want to say a couple things about this as we go on and conclude this morning is one, God takes sin seriously. And in this moment in time, it was critical. Like I said, it was the birth of the church. The spirit was being poured out. Thousands were being added to the church. God takes sin seriously, but he has a remedy to it. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from my their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. I want our land to be healed. The purity, the unity of this church, God takes sin seriously. And the second thing is authenticity matters to God. Who we are is enough. What we bring to the table in honesty will be accepted. When we get real, Jesus can heal. Well, while this is going on with Peter and, and Ananias and Sapphira, meanwhile, the disciples, the apostles are performing many miracles and signs and wonders among the people, and the believers are meeting regularly at the temple. The crowds came to the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. That's, that's all in the same chapter. Meanwhile, while Peter's taking care of them, this is what's happening. There's still this dynamic move of the spirit. But there's also opposition. The apostles were arrested. The angel... An angel came to the jail cell and opened the gates, and they left, but with instructions from the angel that said, go back and keep doing what you're doing. 
the high priest and the officials, when they found out that the jail was empty and that's where they were supposed to, the apostles were supposed to be, they, were, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do with the apostles. They gave them strict orders, never again to teach in Jesus' name. And they even accused them of this. Instead, they accused them of filling all of Jerusalem with the teaching of Jesus. We are all filled with something, right? After much discussion and like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with him? There was, a, there was wise advice from a man named Gamaliel. The apostles were allowed to continue because what he said was, if what they're doing is authentic and God is on the move, then you can't stop them. But if it's not real, then it will fizzle out. Well, guess what? It didn't fizzle out. The last two verses of chapter 5 says this. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. In conclusion, we are representatives of what God is doing in his church today. The Holy Spirit is present and he is and we can fully engage. He is waiting for us to invite him in to be to be working in us and through us. Authenticity without pretense. Honest confession. God can move mountains. We need to recognize his lordship. We stand in awe of who Jesus is. Would you stand with me? We're going to conclude this morning with that song again. May the lamb receive his reward in me. We are enough. May the lamb receive all the glory. Amen.
In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed, church. Feel free to fellowship.
Sing it out. You are my. You're the author and the finisher. You are God and my. And you still are. You're not caught by surprise. You are my. just at the beginning and you're not just watching from the end but you're walking with me in the middle you're walking with me in the middle you're the God of the middle you're Jehovah in the middle
serve a faithful king. Would you lift up a shout of praise in this room? Come on. He's faithful. Come on. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He doesn't change. He's consistent. He doesn't change. He's consistent. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.